0: Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m., worship gathering at 9.30 a.m., or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor John Buckley. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. You can grab one of the Bibles in front of you in the seats there and turn to page 1302 if you'd like. We're going to be in verses 7 to 14 today as we continue our series in 1 John. Um, our series is entitled The God of Life. It's our verse by verse study through, the first, uh, uh, through 1 John. And I don't know about you, but uh, it's already been exciting as uh, God continues to show me things. And I just encourage you, take the time to read through it, get familiar with it, let it really get into your heart and soul. Don't just take the Sunday morning message, but really go beyond that. I encourage you to pen out, I'm going to be giving a lot of additional verses as we go along that'll be parallel to the passage, I encourage you to do that or put some notes on your phone. Also, if you have the U version of the Bible, if you go to the bottom of that, where it's the more section of the little lines to the very bottom right-hand corner, and go to events, type in Upper Perk Community Church, and the passage and the outline would show up there as well. So if you want to follow along that way, we encourage you to do that as well. Whatever way you can do, whatever system helps you to be able to get this to be just not a Sunday morning thing, but a beyond Sunday morning, I know God will use it in your heart in a powerful way. I want to pray before we uh, jump into the passage. Lord, we just are grateful today for all that you're doing and have done, Lord, in mankind's lives. Lord, we're grateful for what you've done here at UPCC. We're grateful for the the ability, Lord, to see uh, 242 Community Church in Boyertown launched from here, Lord, just uh, a month ago now, God. We pray blessings on them as they meet tonight, God. And we pray for our, uh, our church in Camden that we help out, the Robinsons. And I know Dave Jabors down there preaching today. He's had a rough week, Lord, with his uh, cancer treatment, but Lord, he's committed to preaching the word. I pray those that are down there with them, it'll be a blessed time as they encourage them. And now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that we would settle in, that our minds would be fixed and focused. Please remove distractions, God. We pray that you'd be able to allow us to truly hear what you have for each of us individually, not what we think somebody else around us needs to hear, God, but that we would really be teachable to your word. We ask it in your precious name, amen. So we've been talking here through James, uh, excuse me, James, wow, jump books there. That's another Bible study I'm doing on Thursday nights. John, we'll go to John. We've been talking here with John how this last couple verses are sections of dealt with sin. And everybody always loves to talk about sin, right? Probably not, okay, put on the list of things to do. But now we're transitioning into love. Now everybody likes to talk about love, or most everybody, unless you've had a really horrific love experience, but we'll deal with that at a different time. So this transition here is just continuing on though with this walk in the light concept. Because that's really what John's trying to get us to understand is walking in the light. And who is the light? The light is Jesus Christ. The light is the love of Jesus Christ that comes through him, and that's what we're really gonna delve into as we get into the passage here, you'll see if you'll look with me to verse number seven, it shows you again a transition of thought. Verse, verse one says, my little children, and he leads off into the air. Then we see here in verse number seven, he transitions again, he says, beloved. That's that word again of tenderness, of care, of concern. It, it's a concept of, of, of deep um, um, longing for those individuals. And remember, if you weren't here, just a reminder for all of us, John is in exile on an island, away from all these folks that he loves dearly and deeply, and he uses these terms to reiterate to them over and over again, everything I'm saying to you, everything I'm sharing with you is all birthed in love. It's all because I care about you and the longevity of where you're at in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So beloved is what he uses there as that term of endearment. Now I, I want you to put your finger there because we're going to be going through all this. But what I want you to do for just a minute is also uh, swing with me just a couple of pages over and turn to Second John, Second John, Second John. Now I want you to hold kind of hold in between the two of them there because we're going to be going to there in just a minute. But I want you to be ready for this because. Now's when things get confusing. My beloved, we get what he's talking about there. He's talking about people he cares for, that they're important to him, and then he gets into this old new covenant, which is what we're gonna, commandment, which is what we're gonna talk about. Now double talk is something most of us don't like. Most of us don't like the fine print that they have in those contracts. You know when you have to read it and all of a sudden they go, oh, well the reason we're doing this is because of this. Uh, my, My biggest argument on that is cell phone plans. I hear a few bit of people laughing. Maybe some of you, I see scowls on people's faces. And you know, you get a cell phone plan, at least my experience has been, it always sounds great. You're gonna get this, and you're gonna get this, and you're gonna get this, and then as the plan wears down, first of all, your phone usually dies right around the time the contract ends. That must, there's probably gonna be a big expose on that someday, right? Uh, But it comes down there. But unless you read this fine print, all of a sudden it always costs me more money than I ever think it's gonna cost with these cell phone situations. I feel like I'm in this double talk, car dealerships sometimes. I love at the end when they tell you all the good stuff and then they rapidly read through very quickly in in, in a language you can't understand. I think it's clean on, what the bottom part is there for what the obligations are that they have. And none of us like that. We like it to be plain, and and John has been that way. So then he starts talking about this old, new covenant, commandment, and what's this all talking about with things? So just to make it clear right up front, I want you to look at 2 John and verses number five and six so we understand this, and then we're going to go back and walk through it with you. He says, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, what? That we love one another. See, that's the old new commandment, is that we love one another. So as you looked down into verse 7, he says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, let's break this down then between the two. So, the first thing I want you to understand is this is that God calls us to live in the light. That's what this is all about. And that light that He refers to is either Jesus Christ or love, the love that flows through Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, God's intention is for you to live in a way where love flows out of you, not because of you, but because of Christ living in you. That's the whole goal. Because believe me, we all know people that are not lovable. Somebody's name just came to your mind when I said that. Hopefully it wasn't mine, but... We have those difficult people, difficult neighbors, difficult family members, difficult coworkers, difficult employees. We all have those people that it's really hard humanly to love them. And that's why it's vital that we understand that it's that love that comes through Christ in us and through us to impact other people. I often pray, Lord, help me to love this person through you so that I can show them the love that God intends for us to show them. So we have the light of the Old Testament that we need to talk about first. Now, in the Old Testament, they do talk about love already. And John says it this way because you remember again, there was a large audience of Jewish believers, Jews who had come to the point of recognizing that Jesus Christ was truly the Messiah and they had embraced him as Christ. They had accepted him into their life. They had a relationship with him. So he wanted to first remind them that this emphasis that was being placed about love was not a new emphasis. In fact, if you have your pen, I want you to write down a couple of verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of my favorite Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy 6, he's laying out a bunch of stuff there, but he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Love was foundational. This was when, uh, when Moses was being told by God what he wanted to pass on so that they could continue to pass along from generation to generation, and that was this foundation that he lays out here in chapter six and verse five. And then in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, So Deuteronomy 6, 5, Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, we we see clearly here that this was something that had already been taught since the very foundation of the Jewish nation. However, since the law was fulfilled when Christ came, John wants to point out what Christ was going to emphasize by his life as well as by his death, which leads us to the light of the New Testament. We see that in verse number eight. The first part, verse seven, writing no new commandment, but an old commandment. We just talked about that, that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. Verse eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. See, this light of the New Testament, it's, it's why, the question is, why is this a new commandment? Because now Christ has exemplified this by his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. Love was not brand new, but how Christ now brought it to all mankind was brand new. See, the Old Testament Jews knew that this was this to come, the Messiah was to come to rescue them. And what did a lot of them think that rescue looked like? Militarily, right? Going to throw off the the yoke of the Roman government. Going to make sure it leads us to victory. But what truly those that got it understood was the love that was shown is that Christ came and died on the cross that they might have true freedom eternally, not just temporarily, over a government that was ruled by man. His love led to death, which brought us life. His love led to death, which brought us life. Hallelujah. I say this often, but if we don't come here embracing that and acknowledging that, we're just punching a spiritual time clock. We're coming here to maybe feel good, but that's not the reason we gather together. It's to grow and encourage and equipped so that we can go out and share the gospel that others might come to know Christ as Savior. We disciple them so that we can know Christ better and be better followers of his. That was his intention. Romans chapter five and verse five, if you want to write this verse down. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The light is the love of Christ. And if you're a child of God here today, you have that in your life. Because anywhere the love of Christ shines forth, hearts are changed and hope is restored. Both through souls saved and just through the presence of God's love and the way that it can affect the world around us. Love. That light of the Old Testament, that light of the New Testament as we see laid out there. Then we see in verse number nine. So we go from this broad concept where he tries to tie in and get them to understand this isn't old, but it was taught before. This is new in the fact that how it's it's shared out to us, but it's still that commandment of love. But now let's get really practical, which is what I love about John. He wants to get practical with us. And then we see that in verse number nine. And the Bible says this. Whoever says he is in the light Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So then John gets really practical here and says, love your brother. Now, We can use these terms moving forward. We're gonna get a few of these that are gender neutral. You can say love your sister. It's not the concept of hanging on the gender aspect of it. It's a concept of loving those people that are your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Love your brother. He goes to this very specific as how are we supposed to act towards others? So what does he lay out here? The first thing we see is love in action. We see love in action. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So there's that love in action. We, show, we should be showing generous amounts of love. Why? Because of the generous amount of love that's shown to us. Now, I really want us to chew on this for a minute, though, because I do believe it's an area that we really lack in as Christians. Because we all really love being loved by God, but we oftentimes do a really bad job at loving others that God puts in our path. And it's really, really hard to love the unlovable. But there are challenges you can have in just loving on purely a human level. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your aunts, your uncles. And some of you, by me saying that, are astounded. No, there's no way I would not love one of those people in my life. But there are other individuals you have a hard time loving. So that's one category, it's just those you have a hard time loving. Then the other one is all the people we love with qualifiers. I'll love you if you do this. We wanna be loved the way that we think that we should be loved, the way we deserve to be loved. We love to play the victim mentality even. Well, if I already did this, this tit for tap, then you should do this because don't you love me? See, when love has to be coerced, when love has to be forced, when love has to be manipulated, it's not love. See, love that comes from God and flows through us allows those of us who have a relationship with Christ to love in ways that are beyond human comprehension. Because you forgive people you never thought you could forgive. You care about people that you never thought you could care about. Why? Because it's not you, it's Christ through you but we get so picky about that, and we get so justified and arrogant, and I'm warning you brothers and sisters, that's a dangerous road for Christians to be on because then we are doing it all in our own power, and as children of God we were not designed to try to attempt this on our own. There is no way that you as a parent would go and buy a really expensive sports car. Let's say you have the money to do it, first of all, because that would be our first obstacle. But you new name it, Lamborghini, Porsche, whatever it is, a really fast car. You buy that and then you have a four-year-old. Boy, girl, doesn't matter. And you buy this brand new car, get it home, it's got five miles on it is all. And you put your child in and they're having fun kind of turning the steering wheel. They can't even really reach the pedals on it unless they reach down really far, you know, to do it. Now, would any of you put the keys in the ignition and start it up and go, Have fun, son or daughter. We would all go, that is wrong to do on so many levels. On so many levels. And when we look at the Christian life, for us to try to run our lives through our own love is just like giving a four-year-old a set of keys to an expensive car. It's foolish. Folks, let's be honest. I know we like to be proud and independent, but we need Jesus day by day. We need his love to flow in us and through us day by day. We can't do this on our own, folks. So I just wanna encourage you with that and challenge you with that. First John, not John, first John 3.16 says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now listen to this part, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers or sisters. Now, do you love your brothers and sisters to lay your life down for them? Moses loved the children of Israel so much that he was willing to die for them, we see in the Old Testament. Paul said he was willing to die for the people that he was ministering to. Can we really say that, and would it hold up in court by the actions we already show to our brothers and sisters? We abandon brothers and sisters, we crucify brothers and sisters, we criticize brothers and sisters, we hate brothers and sisters, we attack brothers and sisters. That's not the way it's laid out in scripture about how we're supposed to act. So how come he points out hate here then? First, I wanna explain this. This isn't deep-seated, this is, I'm sorry, this is deep-seated, life-absorbing hate. This isn't a hurtful comment that's made it's not a temporary hatred due to anger. It's not getting, our, our, not getting upset because we don't get our way, hatred, or even that our rights are being violated. John was making it clear that if you cannot love after how you were presented with Christ's love, then there's no way that you can really be a Christian and live in a state of constant, life-absorbing hate. You just can't do it. He says, why, because Christ is love, Christ gave his life, and he's asking us to give our lives for the others, so how can we possibly hate others knowing what Christ has done for us? It's a good gut check. There's no sugar coating on this one. It's something to devaluate in your own life as you see what the scriptures lay out here. Now, love isn't just an action. Love, is also, love also gives us clear vision. We see that in verses 10 and 11. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Now, if you weren't here last week when I preached on abiding in the verses preceding this, that word abide is a level of intimacy. When we think of intimacy, oftentimes we just think of it sexually. But really, intimacy is holistic here. It's that concept of that walking closely with finishing each other's sentences type of, of, of situations. That I know Christ so well, as I laid out last week, that you know we follow Jesus so close that the dust of his sandals is on us. It's that close-knitness that he has with us. So that's that word abide continues to mean here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Now it gives us clear vision. What's that clear vision mean? It means that if if, if we abide or we're intimately connected to Christ, then we benefit by the ability to notice heresy and false teaching. Because those are the things that stumble us in our faith. Now I know that Many of us come from many different backgrounds. Some of them might even have been religious or spiritual backgrounds that were manipulative, and you got caught up in that. But what's happened is God frees us from that. So it's that, the stumbling we're talking about is if you stumble and you can't bounce back from it. There's times you're gonna bump into things that you struggle with in your faith. There's some of that you accept by faith, and sometimes your eyes are open to the truth. And you go, wow. And then there's hurt a lot of times when you think of the the, the people that lied to you, the manipulation that took place. But as you mature in Christ and you notice that God reveals that to you, one of the beautiful things is, hey, we're not gonna stumble the way other people do with not knowing what to believe, where to go for answers or any of those kinds of things. It gives us that clear vision to be able to see truth. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God living in us, because we have the Word of God presented before us, and because we have the community of God that God's placed us in. And by the way, John's assuming, excuse me, he's assuming when he reads that, that this is what these other believers are doing already. They have that foundational stuff taking place in their life. And we won't be swayed, is another word that can be used by that. We won't stumble. Why? Because, again, of that light. Any of us here that have tried to walk through an unfamiliar room with all the lights off know the pain that your pinky toe may have felt or your big toe, or your shin, it doesn't matter. You're walking, you think you know where you're going. It's really bad when it's in some place you know and somebody moves something into an area that shouldn't be there. A basket of clothing, a pair of shoes, whatever it might be, and you kid it. And immediately we think, I am so grateful for that person that God put in my life that placed this here. <clears throat> okay, maybe not. We struggle through that, Right? Because we stumble when those things happen. And how do we make sure? Now, it's a completely different situation. And if we go through a room and you see a basket full of clothes right in front of you and you just don't pay attention and trip over it, that's all on you. But when it's unclear, when, there's, when we are put at a disadvantage is when the problem is. And what does God's word, God's love do? It gives us that light to be able to expose darkness, to be able to expose the problems, the barriers, the things that are going to try to trip us up. So love your brother. How do we do that? We love in action and we love with clear vision because as we are able to look for those things that can stumble us, we pass them along to other brothers and sisters because we love them because truth wins. Truth is the one that wins in the situation. And we see that as we continue on in verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. But then we look at the second thing here in verse number 12 to 14, our last point. You want to look at your position. You want to look at your position. Now, position is a rank that you hold, a title that you bear, or a place that you've earned. When we think of that place you've earned, we think of uh, you know the Olympics. Somebody gets a gold medal, silver. They've placed in their division whatever they're competing in. When you think of a title that you bear, a lot of times when you fill that out on an application, Mr., Mrs. Doctor, Reverend, whatever it is on there, a title can be mom or dad or whatever the case might be. We have these titles or a rank that you hold, militarily in particular, is what you think of when you think of rank. Now, all of us have a pretty good idea of what position you hold in the world. If you came up to me and said, Pastor John to me, I'm not gonna go, what? I'm not a pastor. Who told you I was a pastor? I know that's the role that God's placed me in, the mantle that I bear, I know that. You're not blindsiding me with that. Uh, If you came up to me and said, hey, Captain John, I'd go, now wait a minute, I don't hold any military thing whatsoever, I'm not a pirate either, so that is not a title that I hold at all in any shape or form or otherwise there. We usually know pretty clearly, you know if you're a boss or if you're an employee. You know if you're a mom or if you're a child. You know if you're an athlete or you're you're a couch potato. We know those different titles that we have, ranks, positions. And we use descriptions to help us to identify other people and what they are. You meet different people. You go, oh, when you are a parent, you are frequently referred to as this. Oh, you are Christopher's dad is what I got to refer to after. Christopher, Andrew, Amber, Caleb, whatever one of my children, whatever the crowd was. Oh, you're so-and-so's dad. We have oftentimes, if you have children, have been in that situation. One of them that bothers me is when people go, oh yeah, you go to Pastor John's church. This is not my church. This is God's church. Um, and so when they say that, no, it's God's church. I happen to be privileged with being able to be one of the lead elder at the church, but it is not my church. But when you do that, you make these associations with that. So John now, he's gonna use some very descriptive terms because God knows that there's two families that exist. The family of God and the family of Satan. Those are the two families that exist. And John wants to make it abundantly clear which family that we are all in. So he lays out for us three categories. Again, we talked about the gender. He calls them little children, young men, and fathers. Again, you can take the gender aspect about it out. He's really laying out situations and standings that we have when it comes to our Christian spiritual maturity. So what I wanna encourage you as we go through this last part of our message, I want you to really think through what classification, what description would best fit you. The first one he goes is, and you're gonna notice these, that there's a repeat for all of them through verses 12 to 14, so we're gonna jump around a little bit. So little children, what are little children? Little children, they're the young believers. They're either new in their faith or they're immature in their faith. And John knows how important it is for this group to know A couple of things. In fact, one thing he repeats twice. Look with me in verse 12. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. His should be capitalized the way we would oftentimes read it. It means for Christ's sake. And then if you'll drop down into verse number 13, the last part of the verse, I write to you, children, because you know the Father. So he gives two things there that he wants to point out to them. He wants to first of all point out to them because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. See, oftentimes new believers or believers young in their faith don't realize that they can conquer the sins in their life. They are still dealing with the repercussions of living a life oftentimes that's plagued by sins. And in their spiritual youngness, they don't get the concept that, hey, I'm forgiven of all my sins, past, present, future. I can get victory over these. I don't have to live in bondage to these sins. And and that's a great one for us to remember, folks. You don't have to live in bondage. Don't allow your temper to be your identifying marker. Don't allow your failures to be your identifying marker. You are a redeemed child of God. And God gives you the power as his child to conquer all the sins that you struggle with, not just some. There's not like level one sins I can handle, but level 10 sins, whoa, those are way out of my, my wheelhouse. They're not there. Now, some can become more embedded in our life The roots go deeper, but God makes it very clear in his word that we're able to get victory over all of them. He also wants those young believers to get this, again, end of verse 13, because you know the Father. He wants to remind them, hey, you guys are children of God, and you bear all the rights that come along with that. If you're here today and you know Christ as your Father, excuse me, Christ is your Savior, then our Father is God. And He's there with us every step of the way. He will equip us, He will enable us, He will empower us, He'll help us on our journey day by day, step by step. And little kids need to be reminded of that. How do we know that? Go up to a family with a with younger children that you've never met before and say hi to them what do they frequently do now there are a few outgoing ones like hey how you doing maybe not quite that verbal but you know they might go you know hi or whatever a lot of them grab onto their parents leg or they disappear behind their parent or they grab onto their hand some actually even cry when that happens not that i have any experience from that whatsoever Why? Because now they don't leave their parent when they meet you for the first time and grab onto your hand. They don't grab onto another stranger's hand. They go where there's comfort, security, peace. That's where they go, to mom and dad. And you and I, when we go to those new situations, when we go to those scary times in our life, when we go to those uncharted waters, when we go to those times that we know we don't have the ability, God's hand is right there always. 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 Remember that, little children. And it's a good reminder for those that are in other categories. The second group, and by the way, here's a couple more verses if you wanna look up that talk about spiritual little children. I'm not gonna go through them for today, but Matthew eighteen three and Mark chapter nine and verse 42. Matthew 18, three and Mark 9, 42. The next group we're gonna talk about is young men. Young men. Now we're not gonna cover, we're gonna drop a verse. I haven't forgotten about the the father's part, but we're gonna drop down there to the middle of verse 13. It says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. And then go to verse 14. And again, drop to the middle of the verse. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you. See, now, young men or young women are these believers who have a little bit of maturity now. They got some of the basic concepts, the foundational things. They know they can overcome these sins. They know that God is there to comfort them and to guide them. So they're kind of that next level. Now, I've worked with youth a long time in my life. And there's a few things that I learned about young people really quickly. One, they believe that they are unconquerable. They'll do anything. You know, hey, I can do that, you know, and, and oftentimes they can. Um, and when you get older, you realize you don't have that ability. But young, boy, they, they really believe that. So again, look at what he says there in verse number 13. I'm running you because you have overcome the evil one. Now, there, there's two concepts there. First of all, it's that going back to young children. You've understood that you can get victory over them, but it also gets that, that, the Greek word is that ongoing. You're continuing to overcome the evil one. That means you're at it, and you're at it, and you're at it, and you're at it, and you haven't given up. And that is such a powerful trait that God wants us to have when we start maturing in our faith and we become in that young men or young woman category because we realize this is warfare. We don't get a break from it. Every day, you put the armor back on, the belt of integrity, the breastplate of righteousness, and so on and so on, so why? We can fight the fight, and you go at it, and you go at it, and you go at it, why? For the cause of Christ alone, that he might be honored and glorified. That's why we do it, and he commands us to. And these young men, they have that energy. I love newer believers. They get grounded in their faith and have this excitement and enthusiasm to go out and fight the fights and be there along your side to be able to get it done. Now, he also says in verse 14 again, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you. Now that strong goes back to overcomers again, that reminder, you guys have this strength because you're getting your spiritual muscles firmed up. But also he says, I love that he adds this in here, and the word of God abides. Remember that word again? Abides in you. So, hey, I gotta tell you this as believers. You can't be maturing in your faith if you're not in the word. This is our source of strength. This is our source of truth. This is our source of power. This is our source of comfort. And the devil, if you go, oh man, I have a hard time understanding the word of God, I get that. There are some hard sections. There are some difficult things to understand. I just got done reading Deuteronomy. Now, if you've never read Deuteronomy before, I encourage you to read it. But in Deuteronomy, Numbers, there's a few of those. And one of the challenges in those is this is that God repeats things. The 12 tribes of Israel. And one of them, I'm reading around like where he placed the tribes around the tabernacle. And he placed these tribes here and they numbered this many. Or when he talks about the sacrifice. And the tribe of Naphtali, they sacrificed two goats and one donkey. And you know what? I guess they didn't do donkeys. One dove or whatever the case might have been. They teach bad theology, not even on purpose. <clears throat> that'll be what I'll get emails from. Why did you say donkey? But the repetitive, and I know there's times I go through that and I go, Lord, I know this is to remind us of your order. It's a historical record. But boy, it's, that's a harder stuff to read. But then I read my favorites. I'm a big Paul fan. I read Philippians, Galatians. It takes me months sometimes, I feel like, because there's so much in there that God hits me with. But there's times I open my Bible. Yeah, I'll admit it to you. I open it up and go, I really don't want to do this today. Now, if you're the devil... You wanna do everything you can to keep people away from the one thing that can help them be all that God intends to them to be as Christians. Folks, we have so many ways to get in the word nowadays. There's visual Bibles. There is, you listen to the Bible audio-wise. There's all these amazing tools to get into the word. So if you're not doing that, I beg of you, you can't mature in your faith if you don't know the word. And you gotta get into it and enjoy it and wrestle through it and get it deep in your soul. That's what he talks about with the young men. Now, a couple more passages that you could look at for young men spiritually is 1 Timothy 4.12, 1 Timothy 4.12, Psalm 119 in verse nine, and Titus chapter two in verse six. 1 Timothy 4.12, Psalm 119.9, and Titus chapter two in verse six. And then the last group, the fathers, or mothers, now these I don't like to call people matured in their faith. Because I am never going to be a point and anybody here that thinks they are then we already have problems, but we are maturing in our faith. Now these fathers, they're individuals the Bible lays out that are more maturing in their faith. They've been around a lot longer. They have been little children. They have been young men. They have fought the fights. They have gotten into the word. They have understood that they can get victory over their sins, and they are continuing on. Now, I know I've said this before, but I see a lot of men, specifically, that are over 50, now that I'm in that category, 51, soon to be 52. Now that I'm in that category, I see more and more guys that were with me when I was younger that aren't with me anymore spiritually. They've allowed sin to destroy their life. They never got grounded in the Word they got overcome by different situations in their life, some, some um, by, by, by the situations they were thrust in, some by choices that they made. And it's really hard when I think back of people that were part of my group when I was younger. There's a great book, by the way, if you've never read it, anybody that's 15 over, Men or Women, Finishing Strong is a great book just to give you a reminder about what's necessary. But fathers, I pray constantly for mature men and women that are 15 and above, that are understanding that they have dug deep roots in their faith so that they can help our next generation. I love working with younger people. And I love the energy that they bring. And they really want those of you that are in that fatherly category, spiritually, motherly category, to pour into them. We've gotta break this lie that somehow nobody wants to spend time with each other intergenerationally, that's not true. Now, there's times it's fun just to hang out with a group your own age. I get that. Again, if you're going to play three hours of basketball, probably not the guy to be with you at that point, okay? But you want to spend three hours in the Word and prayer and talking through issues, man, I'll be right there with you. I love it every other Wednesday night for the, I guess it's like 18 to 30-ish group. I have a group of guys that come, single guys that come, and we just, we're going through Ephesians right now. It's great, last time, last last week, we were going through wives and husbands, the roles. What better way to learn it than when you're single, right? I love that, I love their questions, I love the interaction. They clean out my refrigerator, anything I don't want, I put it out there, they eat it all, it's great, it's wonderful, and it's so many different levels. But we need that, and I believe one of the reasons that we're struggling as a nation and in Christianity is because not enough men when they were younger and women when they were younger got deep roots, so when they get older, they're falling to the wayside. So you young men and young women, I'm telling you, dig deep roots in Christ. Do those things because we need more fathers. We need more mothers because we have a generation that's coming up that needs us to lead the way. They need these guides. They want these guides. They cherish them. Don't believe the lies that are out there so that we can lead the way God intended. Now it's interesting what's laid out here with these maturing believers. Again in verse 13, the very first part of the verse I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Now look at verse 14 and the beginning of it. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Maybe God realizes older people need you to say it more than once. I can't tell you why it's repetitive other than it's the same thing. But I do believe there is an emphasis. and It's really this emphasis. You that are older should know best. Hey, we should be the most gracious. I do not want to be an old, crotchety, negative, bitter person. And I've met them, and you have too. Again, if I say, think of an older, grumpy person, somebody's going to come to your mind. Again, hopefully not me or somebody in this church, but it's going to come to your mind. Hey, we need older, maturing people that have gone through the battles, that love their God even greater, that can't wait to invest instead of excuse Well, I do it, but I'm tired now. You know, seven o'clock, I would, but they don't want to get up at four in the morning when I wake up. I would, but you know what? I I don't articulate it really well. That's all a bunch of lies the devil feeds you. We are called to be family, Christian family. And we have these idols in our life that when you get to be older, it's very apparent if those idols are idols that take you away from God or not. Family can become idols, Job can become idols. Success can become idols. Church can become an idol. And what we need to realize is that we're called to be disciplers for the rest of our lives, from the point of salvation to the point of death. So the question is, what are we doing to know we've known him from the beginning? I was in fourth grade when I got saved. I remember the whole situation still. Broken home, broken home. Heard that God loved me, thought if anybody loved me so much he'd send his son to die, I gotta give him a chance. And I've had a very interesting life and God's been amazingly good. But I wanna be one of those guys that I wish that I would've had when I was 20 and thought, who's an older guy that I can pray with? Who's an older guy that I know knows the word and spends time with God? Who's an older guy who's still trying to make his marriage be all that God wants it to be? But the only way that's gonna happen is if I get the little children's stuff right and if I get the young men's stuff right, then that from the time, the beginning. From the beginning. Now I hate to say this, but some of the fathers from the beginning, the stories you're gonna tell, and mothers, the stories you're gonna tell are ones of tragedy, of choices you made that were wrong. We don't ever glorify the sin, we glorify the Savior that gets through the sin. We still bear the scars, but we're grateful for the mercy and the grace We don't throw in the towel, we buckle on the armor and we keep at it to be who God's called us to be. This is a passage of hope, folks. This is a passage of encouragement. And if any of this struck you in a way where you feel overwhelmed, I guarantee you it's because the Lord wants you to tackle it and become who he desires you to become for his honor and for his glory. A couple other passages you could look up for spiritual fathers are 1 Timothy 5.1. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 1, Timothy 5, 1, and 1 Thessalonians 2.1. I want to wrap up today, give you a few questions to think about. Are you living in the light? What that means is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It's not about coming to church, folks. It's not about reading the Bible, even. It's about coming to a point where you recognize you're a sinner who needs a savior and you ask Christ to come and to save you from your sins. How are you loving your brothers? Are you taking action in that? You battle with hatred? Are you gonna deal with it so it doesn't grow into this life-absorbing type? Are you gonna have clear vision? Are you stumbled up by some false teaching? Do you get hung up on that? What should you do? Go to those fathers and mothers. Get in the word of God. Allow those things to give you the stability that God intended. And do you know what position you're in? And you know what I love? You're not locked in that position. There's no four-year-old that stays a four-year-old. They grow to five and six, no matter what parents wanna have happen. And they get bigger and bigger and bigger until they're on their own. Are you a little child spiritually right now? Are you a young man or woman right now? Are you a father or mother right now? What are you doing to continue to progress there, take ownership of that in your life? Let's pray. Thank you again, Lord, for your word. I pray that it'll break chains. It'll give us freedom, Lord, to do all that you've called us to do. In your precious name, amen.